What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Report's NFL Draft Podcast. I'm Matt Miller, lead draft writer at BR. And joining me every Wednesday is my man, Connor Rogers. And, buddy, we are, we're in that time of year where, unless you want play-by-play of OTAs, there is not much going on in the football world. And we are not going to be doing that. I can guarantee you that. As excited as I am for Sam Darnold to be thrown around on a field in shorts and a helmet, uh, I think we're going to stick to, you know, maybe some non-football stuff going forward. It is, it is like where we almost need to start like ranking best barbecue in Kansas City or something, you know, to, to give us we're some close. content on the, the midweek show. Uh, but it, it, we do have some things to talk about. Um, it, there are. Uh, some small happenings people I think it's more notable right now who's not at training camp so we could talk about those things we've got some transfers that are going to affect the college game which could ultimately affect the NFL draft and then you came up with a really fun thing we're going to do some NBA to NFL comparisons we have a kick-ass guest this week Kerry Champion from ESPN we're going to talk about this whole ketchup on tacos thing which I don't even know, man. I, I was going to say, the best time of this year is all the guests that we get on, and we got an awesome one with Carrie coming on. So that's going to be really cool because I don't know what she's talking about. It, she's a West Coast girl, and she's talking about eating tacos with ketchup. So we're going to ask her about that, ask her about her career, as always, how she broke in. Uh, you know, she's been in the business a decent amount of time, so it'll be really fun to talk to her. But, um, you know, somebody else that's been in the business for a decent amount of time, Tom Brady. And he is not showing up to OTAs. Is this a panic button situation or is this classic Tom just like, is this kind of, I think this is a little bit of a nudge at whether it's the staff or just the team as a whole. It's not the end of the world, but it nonetheless, I think it's been a very different off season for Tom Brady. It has been. And I, I think it all goes back to the, uh, the, the series that he did on Facebook watch, which was great. And it kind of ends with like him trailing off about, you know, like if you don't love this game anymore, if you can't find that like fire to get up and work, that's when you got to get out. And so I think there is some like dot connecting of like, oh, shit, he said that. And now he's not at OTA. So should we panic? And I think you're right, man. I think it is a little bit of a nudge. And that's not wrong. You know, I think he's earned the right to say, hey, I- I've played uh, for 12 years probably on team friendly deals. And it's time to, to give me a little more help here, if that's what he's trying to say. Or, you know, I, I am now, what is he, 40, 41 years old. I don't need to be at OTAs. You guys know I'm going to show up ready to go. Same with, and the same with Gronk, who's not there. My big takeaway is that Tom Brady is the greatest football player of all time. He knows what it takes to get ready. He's going to show up when he needs to show up. And it's going to be status quo, man. The offense isn't changing. The key pieces that he's throwing to are not changing. Um, yeah, they, they had a running back in Sonny Michelle. I think he's going to figure out how to hand the ball off to him. I don't see how there's going to be any kind of drop-off. As much as everyone in the AFC East wants there to be, or maybe the entire NFL, I just don't see it coming with Tom. Not like we did with Manning. Or, you know, like even there were, like with Favre, who's probably the other, like, really great quarterback that I can remember the the final days of really well. Like, you knew that he just wasn't the same guy anymore. I still haven't seen anything with Brady that says he's not the same guy. I mean, that that Super Bowl no, performance no, he's, was great. He's been beating Father Time. It's just interesting, the whole scenario to me. Uh, Michael Giardi on Twitter brought up a really good quote from Brady uh, from June 12th, 2013. And he said, you think, God, it's just another OTA in the springtime and it's not that important. And all those things that could probably enter your mind. But the truth is this lays the foundation for the start of training camp. And he kind of went on to just say how OTAs is the beginning of everything that eventually leads to a good postseason. So the fact that he's not there, I do find it just interesting. I don't know if he is a little bitter with, you know, whatever's going on between the team and his trainer and all that right now. Rob Gronkowski is obviously weighing the decision if he wants to play football this year under his current contract. I know there's the rumors going around that he wants to get into acting down the line and, you know, his body's taking a beating. So the the long-term future of both of these guys is fascinating. It's kind of funny when we think Brady might play longer than Gronk will right now. And Brady's what, 12 years older than him. So it's just, it's an interesting time in new England. And like you said, Matt, I don't think anything's changing in the AFC East this year, but for the first time in a long time, it feels like maybe the end is somewhat in sight. Maybe we finally have a real two to three year window. Meanwhile, we've been saying that for the last (laughs) six years. Right. So I mean, as long as I've known you, it has felt like it's a, 
Maybe not not necessarily from you, but from people, it's like maybe next year is the year that like yeah. For a while, it was maybe the Dolphins are like making moves when they signed Sue and all that. Like oh, they're they're making moves. They draft Tannehill. Now it's kind of like the Jets are the team where everybody's looking at like man. In a year or two, they're just going to be like hitting people, and Darnold's going to come into his own, and and they're going to be the team that can take over the East. Meanwhile, it's uh, you know I said this the other night on the. Uh, a radio show I was doing. I've, I can't remember the Patriots. It's a bad team. Can you like, can you actually remember? No, I don't. Uh, I really don't. I remember growing up, like obviously being a big Keyshawn Johnson, Wayne Corbett, Curtis Martin fan, but it doesn't cross my mind of the Patriots being a bad organization or football team. Yeah. It's just that that was not a thing. It felt like, so it's, and I don't think they're going to be bad for a while. The, the <laughs> last time they had a losing so. season was 2000. I mean, that's just absolutely And even the, the years before that, you know, that was kind of the Bledsoe heyday. They went 8-8, eight and 9-9, eight, 9-7, and 7 and 98, 10-6 and 97, 11-5 and 5 and 96. They went 6-10 and 10 and 95. So since 1994, they've had two losing seasons. I mean, that's just, that's almost my lifetime. Yeah. That's what's crazy about that. So yeah, we probably have listeners and, and who are were, yeah. were born in that. Well, I'm sure we have a hell of a lot of listeners, actually, who were born in that time span. And they they've never known the Patriots as a bad team, no, or even really like a 500 team. And, and it's going to be fun because the Jets taking Donald, the Bills taking Allen, and we'll see if that you know what kind of turnover the Dolphins go through over the next two years. There's going to at least be a very serious attempt to to change that structure uh, in the college football world. Two kind of big changes, I think, at least starting with the Hunter Johnson transfer from Clemson. This is so fascinating to me because it really is a is a reminder of being at the top of the world. When you look at Johnson, who was a five-star quarterback recruit, and I believe the top pocket passer in that 2017 signing class, already out the door at Clemson. You know, it, the rumors are that he's looking at a couple of Big Ten schools, have to sit out a year. But it goes to show you how quick things could change because Kelly Bryant obviously started for Deshaun Watson after, and then, you know, Clemson wasn't done recruiting Obviously, even though they got Johnson there, they went out and, you know, got another quarterback. So they just keep going and going. And it, it just it goes to show you how quick everything can really change with Trevor Lawrence being there now. Yeah. Johnson already out the door. And I've had Clemson fans telling me on Twitter for a year that that Lawrence is the dude. You know, they're like, so I, I can remember when I went and watched them play against Louisville and saying like, oh, I don't know about Kelly Bryant. I don't know about Kelly Bryant. People are like who cares about Kelly Bryant? Trevor Lawrence is the future. But I, yep. I can also remember hearing the same thing about Hunter Johnson when he signed, because it was like after Deshaun yep. Watson, I think a lot of people thought he was going to be the guy. I mean, like you said, he was a five-star coming out. It was like Mr. Indiana in football. You know, he was the shit. Uh, it was the MVP of the all American bowl. Like uh, he was the dude enrolled early in order to get some of the snaps. Didn't even redshirt his freshman year, which, probably not feeling great about right now, but man, it, it just goes to show how quickly things change in college football. And we're kind of in this wild, wild West of like graduate transfers and so many players transferring that it, it honestly makes the job a little bit hard as it relates to the NFL draft, because not only do you have to keep track of just where the fuck these guys are playing, but it becomes harder to build a background on players. If you know, they've only been with, let's say he goes to Northwestern. And they have Clayton Thorson, so he's going to sit out of here, take his red shirt or whatever. You're going to have to start talking. You're going to have to talk to Coach Fitzgerald, and then you're going to have to go and talk to the people at Clemson. And to just get a background, a full profile on the kid becomes really difficult. You're talking about two completely different areas, so it's not even the same area scout. So you've got like your, you know, your SEC scout and your Midwest scout trying to get information and put it together for a report on the guy. It it is going to make it a little bit harder. And that could be Starting a good over thing again. Yeah, it could be a good thing. Like if you have a kid who was a knucklehead at one school and maybe you know cleaned up his act, then you're going to get that perspective of, you know, kind of like Alvin Kamara at Alabama. Then he goes to Tennessee. And while that's geographically in the same region, you say you probably had the same area guy doing it. It's just like a, a complete different player is oftentimes what you'll hear with guys like that. So and not that not that Hunter Johnson has. I've never heard a negative word about the kid and I've I haven't even really started watching him, but it is going to make our job's a little interesting because in three years ish, whenever he does declare for the draft or, or a senior eligible, we're going to think, okay, well now we got to go back and talk to people at Clemson. Hopefully they still work there by the time, because it, it, it you're like, true too. you're chasing ghosts. If you, and 
So like the on-field stuff matters. You got to take care of business there first, but it's that like, that's the stuff I start to think about. Cause it's like, damn, how, how many people am I going to have to call to get background, especially for a quarterback? It's so important. So it is going to be, it's going to be tough to to do. And I'll say this, I'll say this for Clemson though. I, I kind of get it as I was down at the army all American bowl on the field for practices this year and watching Trevor Lawrence throw the football. I mean, for a high school level level player, this is a player that I don't know if he'll grow into this kind of arm, but he certainly has the potential to have that Josh Allen type of arm strength. I mean, he's Ooh. a true like six, five, six, six, and the ball snaps out of the hand with velocity and down the field effortlessly. So uh, I think Clemson kind of knew, Hey, Kelly Bryant's coming back as our starting quarterback this year. And Trevor Lawrence is going to fight for that job. He's a true freshman, but the job is really going to be his in the future. And, you know, Hunter Johnson probably just saw, Hey, it's probably my time to get out, get over to the big 10. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. You can still reestablish, establish yourself as a top passer. Did he also Hunter Johnson? Sorry, Hunter. Didn't he also commit somewhere else? Or am I remembering? Maybe I'm misremembering. I thought he committed somewhere then flipped to Clemson. So it's like, I don't know if he really wanted to be there all along. Yeah, that's definitely possible. And, and, you know, there's already uh, ESPN's Adam Rittenberg saying that Northwestern and Purdue are are two of the kind of favorites. It makes sense. He's from Indiana. You know, being from Indiana, he really has this Big Ten connection and might just be a better fit there. And there's nothing wrong with that. So it'll be really interesting to watch, you know, a lot of these quarterbacks involved in this story going forward for not really just the draft purposes right now, but the college football landscape. Well, here's one more, man. LSU might finally have a quarterback. Is that what we're hearing? Maybe finally, finally, they, they (laughs) went the grad transfer route, which a lot of these top programs, you know, we've seen it, I believe with Florida, Florida state at times, they will go the route of going the grad transfer route. If they've had such lackluster success. So LSU went out and got Joe Burrow now. And I will be completely honest. I, I, was aware of Joe Burrow because it was like, okay, we're ready for life after JT Barrett. And I knew that he probably wasn't even the favorite to start there, but like you're aware of the kid, you get him on a list. I've never watched him throw a football. I saw his, the spring game uh, once again for Ohio state. It, listen, Ohio state fans really liked him, but Haskins is just, it, when you look at Haskins, the raw talent there and the makeup to be a superstar is very evident the first time you ever yeah. watch him. And I have seen him play. But that, yeah. yeah. And Burrow, though, I think actually brings a level of consistency that this LSU offense would love to have. Like, LSU always has the skill talent, right? We've seen it now. Darius Geist, DJ Chark, Leonard Fournette, and then you could really go back to Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham, and they have guys across the offensive line. They need some kind of consistency at the quarterback position. They don't need this five-star star player they just need a guy that can really go in and run the offense. And I think Burrow can really do that for them this year. Yeah, and they need it. I mean, and we have a lot of LSU listeners. We have a lot of LSU fans on Twitter. And I feel like it's one of those things every year. It's like, damn, that defense is stacked. And it will be again next year with Devin White and Greedy Williams. And there's always so much talent on offense. And it's like, how are they not winning games? And it's because they have Danny Etling at quarterback. So hopefully yep. this will be the turning point where they can get someone who can win. And then maybe that that opens up the pipeline where they start to get some. Although I say that, it's not like they've struggled to get good recruits there. They just struggle to develop these guys, or they make the wrong yeah. decision on a quarterback. So I think it's it's partly on you know just picking the right kid. And I say that as a Texas fan who watched you know life after Colt McCoy, where you're like Texas is getting four and five star quarterbacks and none of them can play, and you're like, how the hell are we in the state of Texas and can't get a quarterback recruit? So. Um, it, I, I definitely understand it. And I can sympathize with you LSU fans because I've been through it. But I'm excited to see because he is a graduate transfer. He's eligible to play right away. And I do want to see what Haskins can do at Ohio State. I think he's one of those guys that when I used to talk to Felder and Nelson about, you know, these recruit recruits coming up, guys to keep an eye on, uh, they were both really, really high on him. Yeah, he's been waiting in the wings there. Actually, there was people around that program that thought they should have given him a look at times over JT last year and it was a matter of it's crazy JT just had so much respect that they really weren't willing to fully go that route and it's it's Haskins time and it's he waited his turn he's worked hard um you know it's and it's going to be a lot of fun did you see the video of him by the way when he was like seven years old or whatever yes at that's Ohio the cutest State thing the, ever man 
that is, uh, I mean, that is just unbelievable yeah. story. That's why it would be so fun to watch him have some success. And it's going to be fun in the Big Ten this year because you have Haskins, you have Shea Patterson now over at Michigan, and then, you know, your favorite quarterback in this year's class, Trace McSorley at Penn State. Uh, <laughs> uh, he might so, be one of my favorite college quarterbacks. Yeah. Hey, you oh, know what? Man. Last year at this time, we were probably making jokes about Baker Mayfield. So, yep, I'm not going to do them. it. Not going to do it. Yep, I'm wishing the smart. best for Trace McSorley. I hope he's the number one pick in the draft next year. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Um, so we're going to have some fun today in the spirit of the NBA playoffs, which seems to be blowout after blowout, no matter who's winning. We wanted to do some cross sport comparisons between the M- the faces of the NBA players and coaches included comparing them to NFL talent. There's only one way to, re- and the reason I got the idea for this, by the way, Matt, I don't want to make you think I'm too much of a genius. When I texted you this idea, I was watching the lacrosse quarterfinals this weekend and they do it in that. Now they <laughs> compare say, James Harden. The hell? Yeah, yeah. They compared James Harden to uh, Yale superstar, Ben Reeves. And they did like, skill traits that they're similar with it was it was actually kind of a cool idea it's just a little quirky with college lacrosse I think it's really cool with the NFL so LeBron James that's I mean there's no one else to start with I am the least bit shocked by who you compare him to at the NFL level. <laughs> I compare him to Tom Brady I, I think the best player in the NBA the best player in the NFL uh, and someone who's just been dominant since they they got handed the ball really at the professional level so I see where you're coming from with yours, and it makes a lot of sense, so you're definitely not wrong. But I went for just that lasting greatness. When you think, who's the best player in the NBA? I think LeBron James. When I, Who's the best player in the NFL? I think Tom Brady. Well, I think what's cool about yours is, too, in ways they're similar, they both kind of have a lot of control over their franchise. Like, let's yes. not, you know, get it. Like, Bill Belichick has control. But Brady and LeBron, they seem to really run the game on their own with their teammates at times on the field. I went with Aaron Rodgers for the factor of when this guy's on the field, much like when LeBron's on the court, there is no game out of reach, no matter how poor his surrounding counterparts are. <laughs> I mean, green green Bay right? has not been a bad football franchise, but there's been some Packers teams where it's incredible how Aaron Rodgers can single handedly take over a game with plays that, we just haven't seen most athletes really pull off. No, that's a very good point. And I, I know like our buddy Sim says all the time, like Rogers is one of the most physically gifted quarterbacks ever. Uh, and I think along that line, you could make that comparison to LeBron James. So up next, Steph Curry, one of the smoothest players in the NBA went off the other night, can take a game over when he has to, but can also kind of take that secondary role. I went with Odo Beckham jr. I, I think they're both just exceptional athletes in terms of agility uh, fluidity, quickness. So when I see Steph Curry, I kind of see someone, <clears throat> excuse me, I see someone like Odell Beckham who's just freakishly smooth and flexible and quick and it just kind of makes everything look easy when he's moving on the field. And they're both kind of interesting from a draft perspective too when you look at it. Like neither were consensus top five kind of picks and they both turned into literally game-changing superstars. I mean, Steph Curry went seventh overall in his draft. In the NBA, like, it's not bad to go seventh overall, but the superstars or predicted superstars always go in the top three. Beckham went 12th in a draft where he Isn't probably should have went top five, right? So <laughs> you look Watkins at both of them, and they, yeah. they have those similarities where it's like, man, they both got slept on somehow, even though how incredibly gifted they are. I went with Le'Veon Bell for kind of the same thought of you, that offensively, these guys can change the game on their own at any moment. They're do-it-all guys. We see Curry obviously can pull up from the parking lot, but he can drive to the lane. He's a great passer with vision. Le'Veon Bell, great vision, can catch the ball, can run with the ball, can really take over the workload at times. And we've seen Beckham do that with 10-plus kind of catch performances, winning over the top. So just we went the offensive skill route of these guys. Another guy that is just an offensive machine, James Harden. Yours is very different here, and I'm looking forward to seeing how you explain your comparison for Harden. Yeah, uh, I love his toughness and like physicality, and I know it's funny because I'm not a big NBA guy, as I warned you about, and so I compare James Harden to Aaron Donald, and a lot of people would say like James Harden doesn't play defense. What are you talking about? But I just <laughs> yeah. love how physical he is, and 
and the way that he attacks, and that's what I, like where yep. the Aaron Donald comparison came from. Not that he's a good defender, because I know James Harden's not great, but just the way that he does uh, attack uh, offenses and excuse me, attack defenses, and it's just like, when he's on, when he's plugged in, he's almost unstoppable at times. And I will say, like from the little NBA I do watch, I think that like. I think he's a better defender than people give him credit for. Um, but I say this as someone who, if I had to pick a favorite NBA player, it would be Kevin Durant because of the Texas tie. So, like, I've gone and watched Harden play in person when he was in OKC, the whole deal. But um, I, I just love the way that, that he and Aaron Donald both just feel like they just have this, like, mentality of kind of like a fuck you, I'm going to do whatever I want, good luck stopping me. Yep. I love that. And my comparison was for one very simple reason. I compared Harden to Alvin Kamara. Because every time they have the ball in their hands, it feels like they're going to score. It's yeah. as simple as that. I mean, that's how it felt for Kamara as a rookie and going forward. So Harden is the very same way every single possession. Now on to your favorite player, Kevin Durant. I It's crazy how good he is, and he's still a little underappreciated. Yes. So I went with Julio Jones because it's another one of those guys where it's like, until the Super Bowl, people like everyone knew how special Julio is, but we almost forget sometimes how special he is. I think both are just gifted, gifted players that their body type and athleticism doesn't come around very often, but they're also very polished products in each of their sports. Yep. So I went with David Johnson and exactly for the reason that you said there, a fantastic player, one of the handful best players in the NBA, Kevin Durant is, but he doesn't get that, that love and that, that the accolades a lot of times. I feel like David Johnson's the same way. Like when we talk about, and maybe it's because he's coming off injury, but when we talk about best running backs, it's like, ah, oh, Le'Veon Bell, Ezekiel Elliott, Alvin Kamara now, like all these other names get thrown in. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa what about David Johnson? And kind of like Durant, his athleticism is just so special. And for Durant, you know, it's like length and how well he moves at that size. And for Johnson, it's just, I mean, across the board, he can do everything. And uh, I think that was another reason that I had Durant to Johnson is because they are so versatile. They can do anything you need them to. And um, and I also had to compare like my favorite NBA player to one of my favorite NFL players just to, right. to make that fun. It's crazy. We almost forget that, you know, two years ago in 2016, David Johnson had over 2,000 all-purpose yards. Yeah. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. When you look at the kind of offensive season he put together, so him being healthy this year is going to be, I mean, really just a blast to watch, especially if Josh Rosen starts to play. That offense, you know, they're going to take some time to really rebuild the offensive line, but they have legitimate star pieces there. Now we get into the fun with the coaches. So we went Brad Stevens, I think the best young, innovative mind in the NBA, and I had to compare him to my guy, Sean McVay, the best young, innovative mind in the NFL. Yeah, and so I... I respect the hell out of that answer. I compared him to Kyle Shanahan for the same reason, because it's just like, okay, pick your, pick your flavor, which, you know, freakishly good young coach. Do you want to compare Brad Stevens to um, Sean McVay is kind of like that mad scientist right now. I'm excited to see if, if Shanahan with Jimmy Garoppolo and all the pieces they added can get on that level this year. Yeah. I think it's interesting with these guys and Stevens, they were all we talked about with all three of these coaches is they're so young. They're so young. They're so young. Yeah. Yet they are out. They are out scheming and out coaching all these other teams with less talent at times. I think now the Niners and Rams have really stocked talent. I think the Celtics recently have really, really stocked talent, but they maximize what they get out of their rosters every single year. Yeah. And I'll say, um, uh, let me shoot my shot on this. Matt Nagy, we'll be talking about him in a year as, as a similar guy I, who's I just like going to be able to scheme and just be open-minded and get his players in position to make plays. All right, last one. Uh, love this guy from all the way back to when he played, Steve Kerr. That's who I compared Sean McVay to. Just a guy who seems smarter than everybody else in the room. Everyone you talk to loves to hang out with Steve Kerr. It's the same with Sean McVay. Um, it's just like, okay, if you could pick one coach to hang out with in the NBA, I'm going to pick Steve Kerr. And I don't think Bill Belichick would be fun to hang out with, so I wouldn't pick him. I think McVay would be my guy. Yeah, I, I'm kind of in the same mold as you. When you look at how McVay, his relationship with players, I went with Dan Quinn because I went with someone like Kerr that what makes them one of the things that makes them special coaches is they just get their players. They adapt to their player personalities. They have good relationships with their players. They understand the draft. They understand talent. And 
honestly, both of these guys, all three now, when you look at McVay into the equation, McVay, Kerr, and Quinn, all kind of had instant success. As soon as they took over their jobs, they were looking for championships or getting in championships. So, you know, when you look at them across the board, there was no waiting factor. These guys were ready to show it right away. All right, everybody. We told you we were going to talk about this taco situation with Carrie Champion at ESPN. She's been gracious enough to give us some time. And Carrie, I, I'm a, a taco fan, but I am anti-ketchup on anything. So we have to talk about this. Explain to Is this like a... Where do you even learn this move? We're putting ketchup on tacos. <laughs> okay, so listen, this is a true story. And I tried to I tried to put some rationale behind it, but I know that most people think, oh my god, this sounds awful. As a kid growing up, my and these are you don't you don't go to the store. It's not like you're going to Taco Bell or a taco place and say, Hey, can I have some some tacos with ketchup? You have it's homemade. So have you ever had homemade tacos? Have you guys ever had some homemade tacos? Ever? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So there's a thing. When I was growing up, my mother would cook like the shell, right? It would be like the greasy shell. It would, and then you obviously degrease it because it's completely unhealthy, what I'm going to tell you. And then you would put it like your taco meat, if you like ground beef, if you like ground turkey, whatever. Then you put cheese on top of that and it's melting because it's also piping hot. And then you'd add just a layer of ketchup with lettuce and tomato. tomato. And for me, ketchup is just another form of tomato. It's not as gross as it sounds. It's essentially a burger. And I've been trying to tell everybody that. It's essentially a burger, but they have to be homemade. You can't go to a Mexican restaurant and ask for a taco with ketchup. It doesn't work that way. They have to be homemade. There are rules to this, you know? I was going to say... It sounds like just a taco burger. So you, so just to clarify, you've never been out to eat and asked for no. this, right? <laughs> no, okay. because people would, people would react the way Twitter reacted. They'd be yep. away. They'd be like, what are you talking about? It's like, you ever go to Europe and you ask for um, ketchup for your shake and they would give you like your, a three-headed monster? It's the same reaction. So I, I, it's a homemade favorite. If you guys come to California, Southern California, I'll make it for you and you'll be in love and you'll be like, oh my God, she was correct. All right. I have a very important question to ask you, though, because I got in trouble on Twitter last night for this opinion. Where do you stand on quesadillas? Because I happen to think they're delicious and better than tacos. I won't go that far. Okay. I do Thank believe you. they are delicious. Thank you. I will not go that far because the quesadilla, in its true form, is just cheese in a shell. And so I can't, just, I can't do that. But you can doctor up that quesadilla as well. You know what I mean? I'm a believer... Anything with cheese, you can just about put a little bit of ketchup on it. I don't do it with everything. <laughs> and, and Carrie, you're a California girl from yeah. you know born and raised, right? Yeah. So you, of course you're taking tacos over a quesadilla. There's no oh way. my god! And there's no, there's no question about it. I okay. So listen, do, do you guys? Did the, did the taco sound better when I described it? Do you want to try it? Or you guys are like, no, that's disgusting. I, I would consider it. The homemade factor changes everything. It does for me. Yeah, like when you were describing it, it, actually sounds like it sounds good. It's just not what I thought of when you just think tacos and ketchup, like one <laughs> and one. Uh, you know, yeah, that was my apparently clearly my fault. I didn't do much to. I mean, you know, Twitter, you you know, loses its appeal when you don't give everything to it. But everyone, Jamel sent me a text. Jamel sent me a text that says, "You are a savage. I can no longer be your friend." <laughs> <laughs> I got the meanest messages and tweets, and I was like, wait a second. And then, thank God, Adam Jones joined in, my fellow Southern Californian, and he was like, yes, yes, no, they're great. I'm like, see, he's had the homemade tacos. And so, uh, I- Marcellus <laughs> has them as well. Go on. I'm sorry. I, I did see him come to your rescue, and, and you and Jamel have been really good friends for a long time, right? Is that a relationship that started at, at ESPN, or was it before that? Oh, no, it was at ESPN. I met her while I was there. And it, the relationship is over because of my love for ketchup and tacos. She decided <laughs> oh, no to, to be my you're... friend. But I think it's kind of rude. And I was like, what about Dick and Ben? None of that. Huh? She's like, no, I can't associate with you. I was like, excuse me for living. I didn't know I was such a human. So, Carrie, you've done like some very cool things. You've you've hosted Sports Center. Now you're doing a lot of Sports Nation stuff. Is there one that you feel like is more fun or like better fits your personality or lets your personality come through more? Or like because like all of us asking these questions and listening, like grew up dreaming about hosting Sports Center. Is that still like this badass job that we imagine it is? You know, I I'm, everyone asks me that, and I'm like, 
everything is different. So, so this is what I'll say. So, when I first got to Sports Center, um, it was it was it was transitioning. So, Sports Center has a lot of different forms, and it was transitioning. And then they were more personality forward. You know, like the day Stu Scott, it was much more personality forward when I when I was hosting in 2016. Um, and they were trying to move more towards that. And then it went back to no more highlights. Let's try this. Sports Center in itself is a dream gig. If you could ever sit at that desk and actually ever do it, and you are in sports, you will love it. Just the idea of it, the legacy of it. And I really love my co-host, David Lloyd. He was the sweetest man ever. We were so opposite in every way, so it worked perfectly. Um, and I have to be honest, because most people in TV don't always love who they work with. And so he was really my TV husband. Like, I loved him so much because he was so kind and generous. And we, we had our own lanes, and we loved each other's lane, and we allowed each other to be um, at, at our best. Now, every time I transition from one job to the next, I notice there's always the growing phase where you have to learn like, just like if you have, you know, a co-host on your podcast, you have to learn their beats, you have to learn their rhythm, you have to learn how they move. That's always the challenge. And not in a bad way, because I have the same challenge with David Lloyd. So now doing Sports Nation, it's just a different beat. And you have to be able to, because that show primarily has been a certain way for so long, and you have to make it fit for you. And that's the same thing I did for Sports Center. Um, but my perfect world would be a combination of the two, right? It'd be Sports Center and Sports Nation all in one, if I could do that. Because sometimes, unfortunately, you know, you're doing stories that you don't have that much love for. You know, sometimes I, sometimes I don't care about certain stories. They're good to do, but, you know, we're trying to be everything to everyone. And that doesn't necessarily lend itself sometimes to my personality. So I think the best of both worlds would be the perfect job. So growing up in California, Carrie, who was your favorite athlete? Did you have just one? Oh, yeah. And he still is. Oh, still is your favorite athlete. Oh, yeah. you you have to be a magic fan, right? Of course. Yep. <laughs> that's, of course. That's a, you have to be. Also eat ketchup on his tacos. Oh what? No, I'm kidding. I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I was like, no, this all makes sense. It's a no, I'm kidding. No, I don't even know that I made that up. But yeah, no, I am a diehard magic fan. So growing up in Los Angeles, when they played at the floor, my grandmother um, taught me all about basketball. She grew up in, like, the segregated South, but her and her family moved here probably when she was 18. And, no, 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 a little later than that, like maybe 20. And she ultimately became a Laker fan, and she would go to the games uh, by herself because no one really wanted to go with her. And so I was a little kid, and I had no choice, and if she was watching me, I had to go to the games. And so uh, she taught me everything about the Lakers. Like, that was her favorite team. They could do no wrong. Like, it was like, it was like Lakers, God, family. You know what I mean? Like, they could just do no wrong. Everybody else was, like, secondary. And she is a die-hard, like, die-hard Magic fan. And so, of course, that's how you, you know, I found my love for sports. But, and, you know, if you grow up in L.A., you just, the Lakers are everything, and you still live you live in that way. It was like Kobe versus Shaq. We had to decide. We had to pick a side. That was really it was painful when the family was fighting. We had to pick a side, right? <laughs> and, then, um, and then, obviously, at the end of the day, Magic is still like the mayor of the town. You know what I mean? So, I was going to ask. So yeah, like, do got- longtime Laker fans break it down as like Magic above all, and then it starts to trickle into Kobe and Shaq, or is there some closer debate than we realize? You know, um, I think if Shaq would have... See, here's the deal. I'm going to tell you a true story. And again, much like the catcher. When Shaq and Kobe started to uh, break up, most people liked Shaq more than Kobe at the time because Shaq was friendlier, he was funnier, he was silly. Kobe was still, remember, he wasn't wasn't a friendly guy back then. And he looked as if Kobe was put... Do you remember that, right? He was just... Yeah, all basketball. Yeah, right? <laughs> he was like, I don't care about any friends. No one matters. And so that's when we thought he was the reason why. We like blamed him. We thought he was the reason why Shaq had to leave. But we know that, you know, Dr. Buck had to make that decision because, you know, Shaq wasn't staying in shape. So everybody was mad at Kobe. Like, no one liked Kobe. And then he wanted to trade. I don't think it was just all this stuff that we didn't like about Kobe. And then when he won the chip, of course, when he saw wrong, like you forget everything. And we're like, we're back to Kobe. He's the greatest ever. Short memory. But for a while, everyone, I mean, the consensus, the popularity contest, people really just love Shaq more. But right now, it's like Kobe 
and then it was magic Kobe and then Shaq. Or even Kareem, you know, Shaq and Kareem go back and forth. So does that mean you're a Raiders fan? Like, I mean, or you would have to be, right? Growing up in, in that time period in okay. LA? I was a Raiders fan until the Rams got here first. And then so now I'm back on the Rams. I have to be back on the Rams because I feel like I was loyal. And now, now we have too many teams. Now I'm like, <laughs> I'm over there. Like, who do we have? Am I a Chargers fan? Am I, you know, am I a Rams fan? No, but I, I'm staying with the Rams because I feel like that's true. But I did love the Raiders. It would have been great if the Raiders came to LA. Like, that would have been so true. I had I achieved on the show one time. I think he was like, it would be great. He's like, I would have rather have the Raiders than the Rams, but whatever. You know, I mean, like, I know, I know. There's so many what you remember, nostalgia. Well, I think you're picking a good time to uh, support the Rams again going <laughs> right. this year with how good they look. But so so we've talked about your, your California roots so much, but I heard one of your first reporting jobs was all the way in West Virginia. What was that? What was that change like? That is the biggest culture shock I've like ever heard of in the United States. The differences. Um, you want to hear a crazy story? So I went from I really UCLA. Do. <laughs> like, this is crazy. I went from UCLA to West Virginia. Like, I, got, I drove my Nippon Ultima at the time across country. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I get right. Like, what was I thinking? And I went to, and I went to West Virginia, and I was ready to be reporter extraordinary, extraordinary, like, take over the world. I'm going to be such a great reporter. And when I got there, it was such, I mean, I mean needless to say, it was a culture shock. It was like, a, I had went back in time. And this was it was like 2000, maybe 2001, maybe. I don't know. It just felt like I went back in time. Like, everything was just really slow because I was in a small town called Bluefield. And the market was Bluefield Beckley, but he covered all of the area. The women band you drove all over. He just drove all over that state. And it was crazy. And my very first, this is, and it wasn't me, the mayor of the town, I met her. She was very nice. And she was very, very um, hospitable. She wanted me to, like, meet different people. And so she didn't know if she should call me, you know, black or African-American or whatever. She was so, she was struggling to decide what it was to call me because she wanted to introduce me to another black woman. And she's like, I want to introduce you to, you know, um, like she's struggling. And I, was, and I understood. <laughs> Couldn't she, get it out. I was like, yeah, I'm like, it's okay. I, I get what you're saying. It's totally fine. Because they were so, they were very kind to me. I had nothing but good experience in terms of how the people treated me. But it was just so foreign to them. Like, everything was just a new concept. And I'm like, God, this is crazy. Look at that. I mean, 2000, we're not in 1975 or 65 or whatever the case may be. But, I mean, I loved it there. I, I finally realized that was my very first job. I was like, I want to be a reporter for the rest of my life. Like, everything about it was it was so brutal, but so exhilarating because I was actually telling stories and reporting. You know, and I was like, this is it. This is all I'm going to do for the rest of my career. Yeah, and that's the days of like really running around with everything from your audio setup to your camera to your mic to doing it all, right? The whole nine. I would run oh in front God. of the camera. I had the tripod. It's the, the red butt bubble wasn't in the middle, you know, and I'd run around the red dot with it in the middle of the bubble. I'd run back <laughs> around and come back. It was just, it was brutal. Like, I was like, I really want to do this because this was, and it was hot and it was sweaty and I, and I looked, I mean, I was crazy. I always wonder if I could find the footage. Do you guys remember that guy, that viral video of a guy who had flies flying in his mouth and he just went nuts and he's like, I want out of this crazy town. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Yes. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of my experience. Although I didn't have enough down there. That was essentially what my experience was the entire time in West Virginia. That's amazing. All right. One more serious question before we get to our fun questions. One okay. thing that we get asked a lot from from students is how to break into media. If you had like one kind of bullet point of advice for them, what would that be? Um, okay, so for me, I think everybody's path is different. For me, I did a lot of interning. I was an intern, and then after I was an intern, I got a job as an assignment editor at a local station here in L.A. And for me, that changed my trajectory of what I wanted to do. So if they nowadays you can just put a resume tape together or you can excuse me, you can email your tape or real to anybody. But my first first honest truthful answer would be to intern at a local news station or intern anywhere you can that allows you to see what it's really truly like. I don't think kids get it until they get there. Like I, I mentor a lot of young girls and they always say, Oh, I want to be in front of the camera and then they come and they shadow or they'll intern and they realize they want to do something either completely different or they want to be behind the scenes. 
And so my advice is always, if you can, shadow somebody or an intern somewhere and just be a fly on the wall. Be very quiet the very first time that you go so you can just understand it and, and take it all in. And then the second time, come back and ask your questions because once you're in that environment, you'll be you'll know right away whether or not you can do it. So if, if there's no particular way for me in terms of what you're doing, I always feel like an internship would get you some type of job, whether it's in the newsroom, um, as an assignment editor, as a PA, any of those things, any of those entry-level positions, and then you can move on and be in the business and make it happen. Yeah, that's spot on because it kind of gives everyone like not only a dose of reality, but you learn what you like and what you want to do and you find your niche in the newsroom or wherever that may be. So that's really good advice. And most people in the newsroom are mean. You guys work in newsrooms, right? You know how mean people are. Yep. You grow up fast. I was 22 in my first first job and I was like, holy shit. Uh, <laughs> exactly. You were like, these people yeah, yeah, you know, that's exactly what I was like. I was like, ah. and I mean, when I tell you that, I yelled at it every five seconds. I was breathing. They're like, Champion, are you breathing? I'm like, yes. And they're like, stop <laughs> it. And I'm all like, oh, I got my it. God. It was, I mean, it's a rough life, but, but it honestly gives you an idea of whether or not it, you can do it, if you can make it, because it doesn't get easier after that. You know what I mean? No. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. On a lighter note, one thing we love to do with all our guests is run them through five questions called the gauntlet. Now, the questions are always the same, but we've changed it for the third time, and you are the de- debut guest of V3 of the gauntlet. It's a lot of so, pressure. It's a lot of pressure, Carrie. I hope you're ready. Uh, you did a great job explaining the whole catch-up thing, <laughs> so you're doing great so far. Um, number one, what is your favorite sports memory of all time? <laughs> I almost feel like it's what Lakers championship. Yeah, right. really. Have right. Okay. One. <laughs> is, it, is it something I experienced, watched on television, television or a person I met? Of course, here I go asking more questions. No, I love that. It could be whatever you yeah. think is the, you know, the most impactful, I think, on you personally. Okay. I will tell you my favorite memory. When I got to meet Magic John, I was on first take. We were traveling for um, Spurs uh, Heat Finals, and Magic Johnson came on the show. And I have been a fan for, as you well know, since I was a kid. And so I, when you meet your heroes, they usually aren't nice people. So you always don't want to meet them, right? That's what they say. That's right. So he comes on the show, and he, and he, and he's just, and I'm, you know, I'm nervous. I want to ask him a question. I don't know, and just like I'll take over, and he has something to say. But I really want to ask him something. I don't know what, but I'm like starstruck. And then before I could say anything, and ask him any kind of question, we're on live television, and he saw. And Carrie, you're from Pasadena, and I know you're a huge Laker fan. I just want to thank you for all your support over the years. You talk about the show often. You're doing a great job, young lady. I am in my life. Like, I was like, wait, hold on. Did he know my name? And it just made my life. And I was going stand out for just a few moments. I've gotten over it. But he was so generous and kind. And he didn't have to take the time to talk to a girl who, who just got on the show, who didn't know, you know, left and right at the time in terms of her surroundings. And that was one of my favorite moments because he had been my childhood hero. And here he was in life talking to me, saying something very kind and generous, and he didn't have to do that. And for me, that was a great sports moment. That's awesome. That awesome. Yeah. All right. Number two, if you could have any superpower, okay. any superpower, what would it be? Reading minds. I want to know oh, all great. the time when people are talking shit. Like, I love, <laughs> I love, love, love to read minds. Because you know people are oh. That's all we do. And if I could be like, oh, so you feel that way about me? I, I don't like you anyway. I don't know or, if I want to know. You know <laughs> I, I know. It's so right? real. Like, no, it would be great. Like, you know where you are. You know where you can, you know? So I love that. Is... Love that. It would be a blessing and a curse. I'll say that for sure. That's for sure. All it right, will come number- in handy in the nail shop because I know the ladies in the nail shop don't like me. They, <laughs> that's, I'm always like, that's so the when, they, when they see me coming in, I know they're like, oh, here she is. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Uh, n- number three, what's one game that none of your friends can beat you at? Whether it's, you know, a hobby on the side, whether it's it's anything. One game that you got everyone's number in. All my close friends, no one can beat me in tennis. kick their butt. I'm Serena. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm Serena in my mind, clearly. Serena can win. Serena wow. might get me. She I like the confidence. You know, how, well, often, was, how often do you play? I play, I play pretty often. I play like 
pretty often. Now, when I, like, during football, we have to come away for this. Like, my Sundays are all locked up. But I usually try to get a game in Sunday. And I always, I play pretty often because there's so many sports here in California now. There's so many sports. When I was living in Bristol, I was kind of an option in my life. But, yeah, no, I play pretty often. Dang. Well, now you got the good you got the good weather for it too. Oh great. my god! And then you can just I went to UCLA. I go to tennis court sometimes there. I get to play there. Oh, and I but I'm pretty like I'm I'm a horrible loser. Like I play with people I know I can play. You can beat me. I don't want to play with you. So this is why I'm so confident in myself, guys. Like if I think you can beat me, I'm not playing. Like if Maria's like, hey, Carrie, you want to warm up? Maria should pull back. Like no, I'm all set, Maria. You know what I mean? Like no. <laughs> I'm all set, Fred. <laughs> That's smart. That's the right way to do it. All right, okay. number four. I got a feeling you're going to give us a, a unique answer here. If you're stranded on a deserted island, who do you want there with you? You can have one person. Who do you want with you? Oh, my God. One person? Yeah. Only one. And you got to make that decision between, like, are you trying to survive or are you trying to have fun? Because it could go either way. Oh, God. If I'm trying to survive, uh, if I'm trying to have fun. And I'm stranded and I need this one person. Okay, this is tough. This is crazy tough. Like, I would want someone super important because I'm trying to get off the island. So I would, I would, I would want like I would, I would want to be an Oprah, duh. Because not only, <laughs> there you go. Not only would we survive, she has so many connections and somebody would come get us eventually. Because if she's missing, they're looking for her. But we could, and we could also survive and have a good time in another way because I'm pretty sure this woman is pretty resourceful in other ways. She, I feel like she knows all in my mind. So yeah, so we be over on this island and we're gonna we're not gonna have a good time, have a good time, but we're gonna have a good time some way. We might find some boys, you never know. Because <laughs> you know, she might she might know some place where these cute little boys might hang out if I would already, you know, over twenty one. And I would love I mean, who knows? Oh, we're having a good time. And then That's you're going to get picked up in a, a private seaplane, too, on your yeah. way out, living good. You guys, and you guys can't come. Don't be jealous. I'm, I am pretty jealous. I'm not yeah. going to lie now. I want to be stuck on the island. Uh, and you, oh, when man. it's over, she's going to give me my own show. We just say, oh, my God, here you have to tell about this. You have your own show. And I'm like, perfect over. I'm like, yeah, you perfect over. <laughs> Someone better not picking you guys up in a boat. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. The last one. Uh, I think I could guess this one, but if you could be any athlete in any sport, who would you be? Would it be Serena, or do you got something else for me? Or Magic? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> if I could be any athlete in any sport. That's right. Of any time period. Mm, okay. Because a lot of bad is coming in here, too. So I'm like, then I have a rocking bod. I'm trying to I would obviously clearly want to be a woman. And then at any time period, okay, listen to this. This is, this is kind of very important to me for different reasons. But when Billie Jean, like, honestly, Billie Jean King is my girl because I'm going to tell you why she's so good to me. And she, she changed the whole landscape for women's tennis. I would say Serena, but before that there was Billie because if you didn't have her, you wouldn't be able to have equal pay the way you do now. And tennis is the only sport that actually, in my opinion, gives women that, that option. You know what I mean? And I feel as if that has a lot, a lot to do with what she did and how she's been such a champion for the sport. I know they put it on other women, but uh, I just love her. I just love her time series. I love how she was fearless. I love how she didn't care and how she was really a part of history and changing something. And she's still around to this day and you can see it happening. So I would be her if I could be during that time when she was fighting for the rights to people pay for women and creating the WTA. She was awesome to me. I know that was much more, not as fun as you thought, much more historical, but I know it's great. So, like, I love her. She's, I mean, she really is a fascinating woman to this day. Like her whole life is crazy fascinating. No. And it's crazy how many people probably wouldn't be as aware as they should be of what she did, at least in this generation. Right. Oh, no. They have no They have no concept. They have no concept who this woman is. Or, But then think about, well, like, if I played in the WNBA, I'd be making, like, you know, $40 to the man's milk. I'm exaggerating here. But, like, there's no respect, right, in that game because of marketing and people don't get it. And if it wasn't for... Billie Jean King, there would be no Venus and Serena because Billie truly was an outcast when she was on the tour. And then so here comes Venus and Serena and they make the game so exciting, especially for Americans, because I know I love to pay attention when she's playing. Um, and then then you have these different storylines where, you know, and I love Roger. I love Roger. I, I, I love him. He's my favorite of all time because he's so good off the court and on the court. 
But I just feel as if it was such a perfect time when Billy was coming up. There's Arthur Ashe. There was so much going on during her time period. There was the movement. And she was right there at the forefront. If I could be a part of that change, you know, she's like literally the change you want to be, you know, and I, and I just would love to have been her. I would have traded places with her every single day, all day. That's awesome. That's a great answer. I, I'm glad that you went into that because I, I do bet that uh, we have a lot of young listeners and I, they maybe have heard who she is, but, but haven't gone into it. So hopefully that'll encourage some people to check it out. Uh, Carrie, I yeah. told you we were going to talk for like 15 minutes and it's been 30. So you're awesome. Like, oh my God. Yeah. Can you tell? I'm going to be late for work. Can you call up? <laughs> we got your back. Oh, Don't worry. Bastard. You got my back? Okay. Yeah. I felt that I was running my mouth about Kobe. All right. <laughs> you guys have so much fun. Try that. When you, when you come to LA, I want you to try this damn taco. Oh, we are going to be out there for that. We're going to make this happen. Yeah. We're, we're right. are, you, are you guys coming for the SCs or no? T- Maybe TBD. This is our we'll year, What do you say? <laughs> More likely we'll be at like a USC game. So. Okay. okay. Okay, so listen. I'm not kidding you. You're you're coming over. I'm making you tacos. Don't. I don't like the way it sounds like you're hesitating. Like you're afraid of me. Uh, Are you afraid of me in the taco? I am all in. I'm in. Yeah, I am okay. all in on this. We'll make it happen. I, we will make this happen. One hundred percent. Yeah. It's it. All right. Yeah. Remember, Carrie, remember the conversation. Thank you so much. You set quite the standard on the new gauntlet, yeah. by the way. I, <laughs> good luck to the rest of the summer guests. Uh, you are the best, and we appreciate you so much. Thanks for giving us time. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, folks, we're back. And thanks again to Carrie Champion from ESPN uh, for coming on. It's it's crazy how connected this world is, right? Like I see her tweeting about ketchup on tacos and I'm like, <laughs> what the hell kind of take is this? And and it's funny because we've the first year of this podcast was spent as a, a ketchup versus mustard war. And I, I remember texting you, Connor, is like, we got to get her on the podcast. And then 30 seconds later, she was like, cool, I'll come on. Just let me know when. So definitely appreciate her taking time to talk to a couple of idiots who uh, really just wanted to talk about ketchup on tacos. I was going to say, talk about lowering her IQ level for 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. And she has like go do TV now. And we've like ruined her brain for the day. (laughs) This is like one of the main faces of ESPN. And, you know, she'll hop on and talk to us morons. But we got to do draft on drafts. And this one first from RZ Bart. Who has this question, though? I don't know, man. Who has a brighter future, Geno Smith or Cardale Jones? Oh, wow. I, I'll i say Geno Smith. I agree. I always like Geno way better as a prospect yeah. and quarterback. I yeah, actually oh, think yeah. Geno could be like a very solid number two. Yeah, and I, I think he will be with the Chargers. Like, you never know. With I mean, Rivers has been pretty healthy, but he is getting older, so I guess you never know when that's going to go down. Um, and I guess Cardell's QB3 there. So, uh, whew, yeah, I, I like Geno a lot better. And he's actually seen the field. Like, we actually know what he can do. Cardell couldn't beat out Nathan Peterman last year. That's a problem for me. Yeah, I think that's a sign. I, I think with Cardell, <laughs> it always comes down to there's there's been accuracy problems. Uh, the decision-making is very prone to the turnover. And you could say the same for Gino, but I thought Gino was always a more accurate passer. And there's been times where Gino has looked very capable as a starter. So, And I've never seen that with Cardell Jones. No. So I'll take Gino Smith by a landslide. All right, the next one from Roman Tomasoff. He always has really good stuff for us. If you had to pick a fullback for a fantasy team, excluding Kyle Juzak, who are you taking? Ooh. I think I know Matt's answer. I mean, it's going to be Dimitri Flowers, but... Uh, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> I mean, that's the obvious I mean, answer. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't want to find yourself ever in a position where you need a fullback on the fantasy team. I mean, I think it would be cool to like play in a league that just has like the fullback position, which um, I'm our league commissioner. So maybe I'll make that happen. But like, I think that would be fun to do right where you have to pick a fullback. I just don't know. Yeah, that would be kind of fun. Like, I mean, Roosevelt. Yeah. Roosevelt Knicks had a touchdown last year. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So there's not a ton to choose from. Right. But um, other than juice, I mean, man, James Devlin, Actually, I guess. Yeah, I think Toby Gerhardt might have had. Uh, Toby Gerhardt. I said, does he count? Anthony Sherman uh, yeah. in Kansas City would be a good no. one. Yeah, God, this is, uh, he's a free agent right now. I'm not Toby Gerhardt. I'm, why am I? I'm losing my mind. It's pretty sad. Now I'm white stereotyping <laughs> running backs. I didn't mean Toby Gerhardt. I meant Tommy Bohannon. That's who I was trying to say. Tommy Bohannon had two touchdowns last year. So, I mean, real illustrious group to pick from. 
He had two on the ground and one receiving. So Tommy Bohannon is my go-to fantasy advice for your fullback. I can't believe I said Toby Gerhardt. It's all right. I am losing my, I am losing my mind. All right, this one from Jer Schmidt. Who are the best position coaches on offense in the NFL and NCAA? That's a good question. Yeah, best position uh, coaches. That's nitty gritty. That is, man. Um, that's a great question. I think you can look at Mark Helfrich now in Chicago, and I, he's technically not a position coach. He's uh, a coordinator, but I, I think he's one of the absolute best um, at what he does. Um, let's see. Mike McDaniel um, would be one that I really like, but uh, again, I think I'm naming guys who just got bumped to to coordinator run game specialist is what Mike McDaniel is now with the 49ers. So um, not a coordinator, but someone who's very, very highly thought of um, as uh, again, kind of a position coach. Um, let's see the Rams. Uh, what would Aaron Cromer, uh, who does a lot of O-line stuff, run game stuff is another really good one. Those are all offense. Yeah, though. I would. That's the thing you said. They all just kind of got hired into coordinator spots. Like I would have said, Brian Dable, from Alabama to the Bills now. Yeah. I mean, another guy that it's tough with position guys because the thing is with position guys, you really hear about them when they're up for coordinator jobs. And and we like you don't really get that list in summer. You probably hear it at the end of the season. Yeah. Who could really take over? Like we knew Jeremy Bates was a guy getting a ton of love as your first previous success and then a quarterback's role. So and then he gets the offensive coordinator job. So it goes on and on kind of like that. That's one of the later things to hear yeah um you know so all right uh next one from ben lady man i hope that's actually Ooh, your last name that's a great the lady man yeah really good for you ben <laughs> having watched devin bush excel on the michigan all or nothing series i still need to catch up on that Same i've been here. watching the cowboys um do you think he can succeed at the next level or will he be considered undersized well i i'll, I'll be up front i haven't seen enough of him because um uh, his until now he wasn't draft eligible to to have a great opinion. But I think the size argument is starting to die down. You know, it, it maybe it started with Shaq Thompson, um, you know, being a, yeah, he's a short, right. And I think Devin Bush is probably going to be like five eleven, two twenty ish is what I have in my notes from a scout who went through there last year. Maybe he might be, I, I think some of that will come down to how fluid is he, how, where does he play primarily? But Jabril peppers went in the first round and I don't think he's going to be a whole yep. lot smaller than him. So I don't know if size is going to be the issue as long as you can show that you can carve out a, a role, whether it's at safety or outside linebacker or nickel, whatever it might be. You just have to show teams that, you know, that you have a fit, I think is the most important thing. And then it will come down to athleticism. Yeah, you're going to want to see him do a lot of run and covering, which like they'll, they'll have him do that underneath right now against tight ends. So the question is, is the size going to be a factor? But is he a potential NFL player? Yes, I'd. I'm not as hung up over the height thing. Yeah. Now the question is, do you want him to be a star prospect? Uh, I mean, I'm not, I don't have those expectations right now on my preseason. He's going to need to run like low four, six at that size. Yeah, of course. I mean, we saw, you know, obviously Shaquem Griffin run really well and that always boosted his stock. We've seen it with Darren Lee. So if you're an undersized kind of player, you need to really light up the athleticism because you need to kind of be a chess piece where you can run and cover. You could be a designated blitzer. You can really get to the outside and shut down the outside run. So that's what Bush will have to show. It should be a lot of fun. And he's versatile. So that's, that's a big plus for him, but I'm excited to watch Michigan this year, man. That's a, that's a defense that has a lot of talent on it. Yeah. And I want to see what Shea Patterson can do. I mean, we know the arm talent and everything's there and uh, you know, you want to see him kind of, kind of try to thrive on a big stage. It'll be Michigan. He's not one of those transfers where he's going to a small place to play and figure it out. <laughs> right. He's thrown right into the fire right away. All right. We got it one here that, Oh man, this guy is a stick to football Friday listener for sure. Mason Whitlock wants to know where's the worst convenience store you've ever been in. Mason's was in Oklahoma, uh, <laughs> Oklahoma. Yeah, they're, they're definitely rough. Um, it's hard for me to pick a worst one um, because I, I mean, I, I am on the road a lot and I'll be hitting the road again real soon to work on a couple of different pieces. But the worst one I've ever been to is there's a little town at the Missouri, Arkansas state line. It's called Jane, Missouri. And uh, I actually got a flat tire once with someone and we had to pull oh, in there God. to like air up a tire. And it was the scariest slash dirtiest convenience store I've ever been in. And it was like, do I want to like get a Coke and a beef jerky here or yep. will I die? Like, is it worth it? So, and surprise, surprise, the Missouri, Arkansas state line is not a great place to, to spend your free time. That's the worst for me. 
Well, you can kind of do the checklist at convenience stores of what makes them like, you know, pretty uh, sketchy. If there's always people that like kind of live at the convenience store but don't work there or aren't a part of the yes. operation, that's a big sign right away. Um, I think when I lived in Albany for a couple of years, I had a handful. I'll tell you my favorite one when I was a senior at Albany, the one across the street from me, when the guy that ran it used to get new beer in, he used to invite us over and we would drink the new beer in the convenience store all the time. Oh. Which was, that was like the best convenience store. On the flip side, my junior year, there was one down the street from us that was an absolute shithole. But you can get like a 30 of, you know, whether it was Keystone or Natty for $14 because it was up in Albany. Those are the good sides to it. You just didn't know if you were going to make it home with all your belongings on the two block walk down the street to it. <laughs> so I like that question. That's that pretty, is good. pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, okay. This one from Jacob Rooney. What does Marcus Davenport have to do this year for you guys to feel like trading so much to get him was worth it? Man, I, I say eight sacks, right? Yeah. I mean, and what I was going to say is I don't think he has to do it this year. Like I don't. I understand what, what Jacob's saying because you traded a, a 2019 first rounder and it's kind of a team that you feel like is win now. But I, I hate putting that much pressure on any player, even with those circumstances where, like, okay, if he's a situational guy and gives you five to eight sacks, I guess, I guess that's good enough. But I think it's more about seeing him make the transition, you know, to get better every check in every four weeks. And do you, you want to see progress and that he's starting to figure things out because he is exceptionally raw, but he's a freak athlete. So like you said, I would expect some production, but I think it's more about the future. And I, I've talked to someone who uh, was scouts for the saints. And I, I think this actually got cut from a piece I was working on, but he was saying that, you know, like Davenport and all these guys, it's not so much about just 2018. It's about eventually Drew's going to retire. And what will the identity of this team be? And they now feel like they can have one of the best defenses in the NFL with a lot of really young guys. And that that can be the next phase of the New Orleans Saints. It's not, okay, well, Drew retires. We're fucked. We, we're never going to have a quarterback that good again. But you have Kamara. You have Michael Thomas, a good young offensive line. And you're going to have this badass defense. So it's more about that side of it. Yeah, and I totally get that. I just think when you look at the window the Saints are working in with Breeze, because the Saints have talent across the entire 53. To me, they were saying, we need a pass rusher, an edge pass rusher, right now in this two-year window we're working with Breeze, which means Marcus Davenport, for that price, has to get after the quarterback next year. There's no way around it in my eyes. I, I know that's not fair. Expectations for a player that was 21 years old when drafted, he'll turn 22 you know, basically a week before the season kicks off. I think that he needs to have instant production, and that doesn't necessarily, I take it back when I say eight sacks or bust, but he needs to have pressures. He needs to make the quarterback uncomfortable up front for that Saints defense, for that really good secondary to get turnovers, because they gave up a premium to go get him, and you want it to look good, and you want it to be something that helps you put over the top. We saw it with the Eagles last year. They made quarterbacks uncomfortable, and it really helped that secondary. Makes everyone I think look- the Saints won look pretty yeah it makes everyone look better that's it so all right i mean it's a great question and it really it's something we're going to be mo- we're going to be monitoring that all year uh okay so this one back to our <laughs> nba talk this one from brooks k do you think lebron could actually be successful in the nfl I, yes yes i it's a simple yes i i look at him at tight end and i don't think he could be stopped it's too athletic. if say you had lebron like let's put it like this and i don't think lebron will ever do this LeBron is 33 right now, and he's still one of the best conditioned athletes on the entire planet. He's six foot eight. If you just said, if LeBron said, you know what, uh, I'm going to play, this is ridiculous, but I'm going to play the first four weeks of the season, or I'm going to give training camp and preseason a shot yeah. this year just to try it out. You can put LeBron James in red zone packages from the day he steps on a football field. <laughs> Because he's that kind of athlete. Who's covering him? He's He would be a tougher Jimmy Graham. 1,000%. And I think if you had LeBron from when he was, you know, what, 19, 19? 20? Yeah. And you know, say, I think you could have developed him into a pass rusher. I think he's oh, that without explosive. A doubt. He has the agility yeah. and he has the power arm length. It, I would say, like, okay, he's going to have to lean out probably a little bit because... Uh, I don't know, man. Those shoulders are just so big. Um, I don't know if he would try to lean out a little bit to be 
a little faster, but and he's just a special athlete. And I'll never forget. I was, I was probably 25 or 26. And it was at, at a time where I was really trying to decide what I wanted to do. And I had an interview with an NFL team for an area scouting position. I drove uh, to a city and interviewed and, and we were talking about uh, one of the questions they asked me was who's the best player you've ever evaluated and why. And at the time, um, I don't even remember who I said because it was a long time ago. Um, but they, the, the gist of the conversation was, yeah, that's an easy one. And, like, the greats are easy, right? Like, we just all know. Like, anyone who argued about, like, Andrew Luck just argued for argument's sake. Like, he was a great prospect. Yep. Whether or not he's lived up to it, he was a great prospect. The same for Von Miller or Patrick Peterson. Like, those are the guys you just – you can look at them for five minutes and be like, okay, this guy's going to be a, a really good NFL player as long as they don't get hurt. I think LeBron would be the same way. And he's just so special as an athlete. And then you add in the competitive nature and the work ethic and, it, you know, the the IQ. It's like, I mean, that's everything you look for in a football player. So I, exactly. I think he would be. He passes every, yeah. he checks every box. Really does. He's tough as shit. He's an absolute dog as soon as the clock starts yeah. in the game. I mean, he will mentally break you down. So LeBron would have been a, a phenomenal football player. There's no, if anyone tries to get cheeky with you and say like, oh, well, here's why he wouldn't be no. like, it's not as easy as you think. It's like, guess what? He's probably the best athlete like we've ever seen. Yeah. And I'm wrong. So. I do remember it was Peyton Manning at the time was my answer. So, okay. Duh. Nice. Right. That's an, that is an easy one. All right. Last one, dude. And this is from, it seems like every single stick to football fan. How do they get stick to football gear? Oh, man. Well, we're working on it. We uh, are. We've got a couple <laughs> different things that we're working on. We honestly do. And uh, some of you have like got even frustrated and been like, why don't you guys just sell this stuff? Well, it's it's not that not easy. We do work for yeah. someone who has to approve things. And the company we work for is owned by a company that has to approve things. And so it's a process. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, you know, we've we broke it down before, like make us laugh on Twitter. That's a great way. Uh, sending great questions like you guys do for draft on draft and just the tip. That's a good way uh, to get stick to football gear, interact on Instagram, uh, the funny comments and things. We see those, the iTunes reviews, we see those. And I, I don't, I probably reach out to four or five people a week and like, you know, Hey, this was great. Uh, what's your address? I'll send you some stuff. And so it's just that yeah. simple of get involved to where when we see your name, we recognize it and think, Oh shit, like this person's a great listener. Let's, let's hook them up. I was going to say, I'm looking at our draft on draft this list this week, and this is a draft on draft session that did not have Anthony Mongaluzzo or Antha Oreo in it for the first time in forever. I think they're going to lazy. And I still, <laughs> I still recognize like five of the eight names yeah. on here. Like there's typos in here on some of your names, and I read your name right because I'm just so used to reading it. So it, we love you guys being a part of the show, and we're going to have more gear on the way. We're, we are literally working on stuff that is not just koozies stickers, wristbands, all that stuff is awesome, but we want you guys to be able to actually have some gear to wear. So we're working on that as well. It's only going to get bigger and better as the show goes on. Summer gives me and Matt and Mello a time to really like take a step back and say, okay, well, what do we want to add in this year? What do we want to do to make this bigger and better? That's what June and July is for. Exactly. And then football season, college football season, really starting in August is 110 miles an hour until the NFL draft. Yeah, it's so. gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, we will in June start getting into a lot of the positional breakdowns once once we get mellow out of the school system you know, because for some reason they're going to school until the first week of June. God, so once it's we get be hot as hell, yes. Once we get him out of that, uh, we will all be breaking down film and and we've each started already. So positional breakdowns will be coming. Keep sending in ideas. Like if there are things you want us to talk about, let us know. Give us a little bit of a notice. Not so much a draft on draft question, but segment ideas you can send those in and we'll give you credit if we pick one of them up absolutely so just keep being involved we definitely appreciate all of you hopefully uh, you can all get away this weekend enjoy memorial day we will talk to y'all real soon